All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. We got a pep in our step, MWR.com. Week, Matt, joining me, week uh, eight, opening weekend, whatever you want to call it, it's here, right? Yeah, I mean, whatever <laughs> you want to call it, week one, week eight, for you know, search engine optimization purposes, we're rolling with week eight like everybody else. But it's here, finally. It's here, but we're going to have a game canceled, which we'll get to in a minute here. But yeah, we got week one here, opening weekend, whatever you want to call it, uh, Mount West uh, football here, MWR, like I said, .com, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, when we decided to hop on there and do something. Uh, we made it, I guess, sort of. <laughs> we made it mostly intact. You know, there's been some opt-outs. There's been some injuries, some uh, even, you know, this week, some COVID-related wrinkles. But uh, I think... Uh, for the most part, we're all still pretty excited that there's going to be actual Mountain West football to talk about, like a full slate. It's like late night football because, like, I'm done watching, like, last weekend. What was the last game? Alabama-Georgia, I think it was. Something like that, yeah. And that's, what, 7.30 Eastern kick. So it's, like, late afternoon, early evening for us. Like, it's, like, 9 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, guess I'm done for the day. Not anymore. <laughs> then you then you just go and watch, like, the HBO movie of the week, whatever whatever new movie it is. Yeah, watch that. But not or... anymore. Not anymore. You gotta find another day. You gotta watch the uh, CBS uh, Sunday night movie where they had like Ferris Bueller last week. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Maybe doing like classic ish movies. When old school is on there, I'm like, first off, it can't be on CBS because it's not nearly as good. Second, is it really a classic movie? Because it's not that old, is it? (laughs) I think it's like 15 years old. Uh, Whatever. Okay, fine. This. Let's get to football. First game of the week. Yeah, let's do that. Let's stop dating ourselves. Exactly. I'm like, okay, so. We got one game canceled, Colorado State, New Mexico, mostly because of the New Mexico side and not necessarily due to them having an abundance or too many people test positive for COVID mm-hmm. or even contact tracing. We'll get to the, um, I don't want to say restrictions, but kind of the way a game could be canceled or not within the Mountain West. So I don't think, I'm not sure if we discussed this last week, maybe briefly, Matt, but we had, they had eight players and a coach. So it stopped practice last Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, didn't practice. I think they resumed Saturday, I want to say. Mm-hmm. But then they had a press conference with Eddie Nunez, the AD, and the governor came out Thursday, I guess the week prior about – because I put a note out there. like They're like, well, we got some more guidelines, restrictions coming up where a ne- – yeah, we did discuss this. A negative test would not suffice mm-hmm. to allow anybody to come into the state. Yeah. And so this is a road game. And we talked about the soccer team. We did discuss it. The Mexico United, where they did all road games. Their season just ended in El Paso. And the sheer number of players or staff and whoever, like threefold. But also, like Matt, the Rams side, they had like 20 plus players out due to either tra- tracing or COVID. Plus, had yeah, wildfires. They've been, they've been dealing with it for a little while off and on. And they had wildfires in Colorado, which is not good. And so that game, as we discussed before, canceled. But who had a opening weekend game not being played? I don't know. Not me, really. I thought at least one week would go with every team getting out there. Well, I mean, it was, you know, when they, you know, these two teams weren't the only ones that have been dealing with COVID-related issues. Like, you know, UNLV is the other one that comes to mind immediately. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's still something that, you know, when you look at maps of the country, it's still pretty much everywhere unchecked and getting worse. Um, yeah and and you know there are some communities maybe on the local level that are starting to turn the corner a little bit but you know there's still it's still a long path that i think we're all gonna have to travel and so even if it's not one team canceling like a chunk of games i can imagine 
that you know it may be a situation where you might see one game postponed or, or put off you know more often than not and, and maybe it won't have like a huge effect on one program in particular but you know it wouldn't surprise me if if cases keep popping up in different places throughout the conference so throughout the fall then you know maybe another game elsewhere gets postponed in a couple of weeks or something like that so i guess well, i guess we'll see but guarantee more postponements cancellations yeah. are coming so like the only way it may not be like we mentioned like uh, thursday night not this week every game this week is saturday but going forward thursday set thursday games thursday friday saturday maybe there could be a thursday game played sunday that's like the only extent of a extended timeline to play these games mm-hmm. like push it back just a couple days and that's a uh, Risky, especially if you have back-to-back Thursday games and you go Thursday, sun, like Sunday, Thursday. Now that's not ideal, but that's like I don't know if they'll do that. But I, I don't. It's a money thing too because CSU coach Adagio was frantically trying to get an opponent to come to town, but he didn't want to go. In. There's a couple reasons that was never going to work. First off, um, if you wanted a home game, it was Wednesday, I believe, when the announcement came out. So mm-hmm. you have two days. Not many teams were not playing this weekend. And then to ask a team that has a charter available, hotels, money to come into play. Same for CSU. Could they get their plane ready to go? Do they have the money to go out and spend 50 hotel rooms or whatever it may need to be? So I get the effort. That's a great thing to do. Like There just weren't many options this week. Because I think UMass has a game. That's like the only team that came to mind because they were finally starting back up. But independent BYU, they have a game this weekend already scheduled. There weren't options. I don't know. Marshall's always looking for a game, so who knows what their availability was. Mm-hmm. But they tried to do that, which I get. And let, let's get let's get real talk here. Is New Mexico going to play a game all year? They will. I think at some point. I can imagine where maybe it takes a week or two. You know, I think we had someone on Twitter ask us if they were going to possibly cancel the home opener next weekend. And you know, my first instinct was to say probably, just because you never know what the timeline. But, you know, on the flip side, if they can get things in order in kind of the same timeline that, you know, those NFL teams, for instance, like, you know, like the Tennessee Titans and, um, you know, some other ones that escape me right now. Um, you know, I think the Titans only missed a week technically before they were back on the field and, and playing more games. And so, you know, if you're a New Mexico fan or a Colorado state fan, that's kind of where you're pinning your hopes is that, you know, things will be in order, you know, contact tracing will be in order by this time next week and we'll be able to have a full slate of games. I just don't know if it will because they made the soccer team play every road game. Mm-hmm. There's no... My thought was they would play every game on the road because what the soccer team did... And right now, like, again, they people coming to the state, they've been pretty restrictive for a while. They've been one of the more states, despite, like, you can't look at sheer the total number of cases because due to population and whatnot. Yeah. But I'm assuming their percentage is not where it wants to be, clearly, because the governor is you can't do much of things, whatever the people are chagrined to go out and do things or not or play sports or anything. It's like safety is number one priority and you want to do as safely as possible. And so I felt road games like this game, I felt it could be done because it's on the road the opener. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what will change. And we're sitting here Thursday recording this nine, what, nine, 10 days away from their home opener. What's changed? Nothing's changed in the past month or two because the soccer team, every game was on the road for two, two to three months, I believe. And so I don't think there's going to be a flip around to say, okay, you can pull, you can come to a home game and bring in 100 plus people out of state where it technically violates the governor's order of you got quarantined for two weeks. So I, I would lean like, I honestly could, I, I, w- I don't want to say no games are going to be played, but my first option would be every game would be on the road. 
that they're going to play. Maybe they get one home game end of the year if things turn around December, but who knows? Maybe two, mm-hmm. but I ex- I would fully expect them no home games. What are we? I guess the season October 24th. At least a month, there'll be no home games. I'd say their first home game, Thanksgiving at the earliest. So that's I mean, like, I guess we'll see. I mean, you know, Steve Bergen of the Albuquerque Journal really laid it out pretty clearly where, you know, late last week, last Friday, I believe, to be particular, the, the state of New Mexico had a record number of positive cases. And, you know, with Bernalillo County in particular, which is where the University of New Mexico is located. Most you know, popular city, yeah. Yeah, their positivity rate is, you know, nearly 5%. And... You know, he basically laid it out and said, if those numbers don't improve, they won't play on Halloween. And so I think that's kind of to speaking to your point where you know, if if the community can't turn it around, then it's it may not happen. But it's really one of those things. It's hard to forecast 10 days in advance. I imagine we'll probably have a clearer picture maybe by the weekend. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe like Monday, but also remember they can't even practice. They're like practicing in groups of five, I believe it is. We mentioned. Yeah. Like the guidelines right here, the guidelines mandate full contact practice must stop. If and this this is not the Mountain West. This is the the Lobos situation. And we'll get to the whole league. Um, practice must stop located in the, if the school is in a county with a fourteen day average daily test count above eight per one hundred thousand, and a test positivity rate over five percent. Um, last week they peaked to eight nineteen record. They are fourteen point one per hundred thousand, so that already is above that number right there. I believe mm-hmm. I'm correct on that. And then, but the positivity rate was below, which is good. Four point seven. We had to have both, and so that's uh, not ideal for them. So uh, seven day average is a high as well. Six thirty three. Like their numbers are doing is like again number wise. Like I'm here in Utah, high numbers again. Like say it was fifteen hundred. Like great, come on. It's like, uh, people, do something. I don't know. It's it's ridiculous. It's People need to take control of what they can. It's not that hard, in my opinion, to be safe, stay home, put on your ding mask, and don't touch everything or cough on stuff when you're out in public <laughs> to go out. But as for football, I, like, honestly, they may play, like, four games. Like, I could, I would give a 5% chance they play no games this year. Would you go that high? Mm, I think they're going to play at some point. It's they, just re, it's just really hard to forecast from day to day. It is, you know, how what that window is going to look like. I don't know, like the players are test all the time. Like they get the three times a week testing. So this isn't an abomination or a, a criticism against Lobos Athletics. It's it happens just because like eight out of a whole football team. That's about eight percent, I would say. It depends our <clears> staff in <throat> football, so that's a little bit high. But we've seen worse cases at Notre Dame, Baylor, Texas Tech, UNC. Like, huge outbreaks going around. So we'll see how it goes. But here's – I want to mention this really quick. This is from the Mountain West itself. I had it up here. Maybe I closed it. Shoot. But um, – crap. I had it somewhere. I'll grab it here in a second. But they had the actual, are, you looking at, are you looking for the protocols? Yeah, I had it in front of – oh, I wrote it, I wrote okay. it down here. That's what it is. No, here it is. I copied and pasted okay. it. So here we go. A game could be canceled and declared a no contest. Also, for, hold on real quick. This game's not being made up, just so you know. Mm-hmm. So just to be clear, it's not it's not happening. They did mention maybe December nineteenth championship weekend, but that seems very unlikely. They basically said no. Yeah. So a game could be canceled and declared a no contest. The conference said if a program has fewer than fifty three total players available, which is mm-hmm. basically an NFL game day roster, just slightly above it, just to, for comparison, yes. um, or fewer than the minimum number of position players to begin a game, which means seven offensive linemen, four interior defensive linemen, and one quarterback. So that's like the minimum where it's a safety thing too. Like 
if you have only seven offensive linemen, that's a, that's an issue because you obviously want to play five and you're not going to stick. I guess technically if you have a fullback or tight end, they could play that right tackle left tackle spot, but that's still not ideal. Yeah. Um, I don't think they'd want that. to happen. No, (laughs) that's what I mean. Yeah. Interior linemen, same deal. Quarterback. Yeah. You want at least one quarterback. Um, uh, schools who fall short of that minimum can still elect to play. Was there a percentage of COVID as well per team? Because I didn't see that, or I'm, I just scrambling. Uh, the test positivity rate ha- is if it's higher than seven and a half percent. Okay, all right. So New Mexico is pro- slightly above that. Is that yeah. like I, I didn't write that in front of me, but is that like if that happens, they're not playing regardless? Uh, okay, so this is a, the according to a screen cap that uh, Mike Gramala of the Las Vegas Sun put out there. Uh, so this is. Quoting directly from the Mountain West. In addition, a test positivity rate from either team, which reaches 7.5% at any time in the period between the previous contest and the upcoming game, would trigger a review to examine the circumstances and determine whether the game could be played. If not, the contest would be canceled and declared a no contest. Okay. But the minimum player thing is school discretion. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. So that's that. Um, and and oh. it's also important to recognize, they say that it, uh, state, county, local guidelines always take precedence and su- supersede conference thresholds or institutional decisions. So, you know, with the state of New Mexico making a decision, with the county making the decision, you know, it's it's somewhat like the recent announcement here in California, for instance, where the state announced that that, that professional teams could probably start hosting you know, limited amounts of spans fairly mm-hmm. soon. But Santa Clara County in particular came out and said, with nope. regards to the 49ers, no, we're not doing that right now. Same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Also, real quick, that's one of the questions. Like, how can um, fans go? Why can't some places go for family or spectators? Again, it's up to local discretion. Because just for reference here in Utah, University of Utah and the Pac-12 have said, friends and family can't attend the game. So probably, not, not friends, but I guess they... It'd have to be like direct family. It'd have to be the same household type of deals, so like parents, maybe brothers, sisters, depending on age. But then again, it still comes down to, for me, in Salt Lake County, Salt Lake City, of what they're allowing people to do, which what's going on recently, I'm assuming that's the case because BYU could have 6,000 fans when they play this weekend in their 60-plus thousand seat stadium. So it just depends yeah, and- on school may say something, but it comes, again, county, local, city officials are making the final call, which is fine. And I have to imagine that's the kind of policy that could be amended at, at later points, if yeah. mm-hmm. you know communities, if counties, cities, whatever, are able to turn the corner on containing the pandemic, you know it may not be happening now, but you know chances are it could happen later on. It just depends on how well communities contain the spread, essentially. Yeah, and one thing to keep an eye on too, like we got not to get too scientific or anything, but it's flu season right now, about to be. Yes. Yeah. And that's an issue, however. <laughs> In the southern hemisphere, I heard this the other day from somebody we were chatting about stuff. Southern hem- hemispheres are, already had their winter essentially, like Australia, mm-hmm. South America, Africa. Wearing a mask in general, it's it's going to protect against any sickness, cold, cough, flu. So, and what I was reading about and what they told me, the amount of flu cases drastically decreased because of areas where they're wearing masks and stuff. And so that is a concern. What what type of sick am I essentially? Am I spreading it? So. If people out wear it anyways, fewer people are going to get the flu because more people are in masks in general. And hopefully that also translates to fewer people getting COVID as well. So they're afraid of getting crazy. So if you wear your mask during flu season, flu numbers will go down, which will help hospitals and also help getting COVID. So that's a thing to look out for as well. Just kind of some positive news about you yourself. Like 
if you were that, hey, I hate the flu, don't you, Matt? I would hate to get COVID as well. So that's true. To, to be, work. be like Rocky Long and just yeah. play defense. There you go, just play defense. How does a three three five work in mask wearing, Matt? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> That'll be uh, I don't know. All right, so let's get two games here. We have four games this weekend. I don't know, five five games. As my first uh, attempt at setting the schedule out for picks was aired. Apologies for that, people who are in our staff. But five games all on Saturday. Also, the TV stuff really quick. We'll get to this momentarily. Um, FS1 has a lot of games. Now, FS2, not this weekend, though, on CBS Sports Network. So if you're flipping for ESPN and you've been under a rock or laser-focused on stay-at-home working, no ESPN games for any Mountain West home game this year. So also check our FUBO link because FS1, FS2, CBS Sports Networks are there. So there's that to consider, and we'll have all those in all of our game day preview. In a million posts, we'll note that on there. So like me, I'm going to bust out my seven-day free trial to watch Wyoming Nevada this weekend because I got to. So There you go. And just and just an FYI, because I know that we talked about this uh, out of recording, I believe, last week. But you know, for those people who are looking for other options, uh, free shout-out to Hulu Live mm-hmm. TV, which does cover CBS Sports Network and Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2. So it's another option to keep in mind. I think I think most streaming servers have all like YouTube TV. I'm pretty sure they do, yeah. I'm going to do a quick post on this week because we always want that question. But, yeah, I know Hulu has it. Um, most streaming pl- platforms have imp- increased to add like those channels. So look out for those. And we'll put a little guide if it's Sling TV, YouTube, um, whatever it may be, Hulu Live, those type of things. So, mm-hmm. all right. All right, before we get to games here, everyone, my bookie is back to help you guys out. Between NFL, college football, World Series going on as we speak, there's not a single shortage of game to watch. You got thousands of lines available, sports events, everything over at uh, my bookie to get you a payday and earn some cash. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, go for it. Consider a parlay for a bigger payout. You got to take those. Uh, we got the Mountain West games going on now, so you think those double-digit favorites are going to get some more. If you like the dogs the other way, there's always that option. Not only do parlays, parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a huge moneymaker. Why win one game when you can do one, three, five, seven, nine? Heck, do 15 games. You want to see how that plays out for you. It's a little tricky, but go for it. Don't forget the underdogs. As I mentioned, they got a ton of value, so... Got NFL coming up this week. Underdogs are never really underdogs on Sunday for the most part. You could take any game who's not favored and maybe turn into cash to take a chance. You got to win. Do your thing. Game spreads, futures, player prop bets. Never too late to get in on the action, turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. Now, the important part here sign up over at MyBookie. And when you do, use our code, promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar. All the way up to one thousand bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little extra help and a head start on your winning season. That again, that promo code is overtime to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. You can uh, put prop bets on anything. One of the craziest things I notice here: UFC standard presidential prop bets. So if you want the election coming up pretty soon here in the U.S., so if you want to play some odds on that, that's an option for you. As is everything else: football, basketball. Again, a World Series going on. You got all sorts of sporting events going on. So sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie. All right, so let's start with the Boise State at excuse me, Utah State at Boise State. 16 and a half points. Yikes. For the opener. FS1 game, five mountains, seven eastern, four Pacific. Not a night game for these two teams. Let's just start the Utah State side, Matt. They have a new quarterback, Jason Shell, Utah transfer, who came over, what, September, I want to say? 
pretty late. Uh, pretty late in the off season, yeah. Did you see Gary Anderson wants to maybe play two quarterbacks? I did. So he may want to play redshirt freshman Cooper Legus, I believe you pronounce it Legus. Legus, I don't know, but he he's kind of wishy washy. He wasn't guaranteed to say the happen, but he's like, oh, maybe we'll play two quarterbacks. I'm like, coach, what are you doing? I like Jason Scheller, For those who don't know, we talked about before. He played at Utah, led them like half a year to a Pac-12 title game, get thumped by Cal. So there's that. They have a new quarterback. They brought in the new running back, Dante Henry Cole. They have an offensive line that should be a bit more experienced from the year before. Those are some pluses. I don't know, pluses, but things to know. If I want to give, let's just start right out of the gate. My one advantage Utah State might have, and again, air quotes, might have, could be that offensive line because Boise loses Curtis Weaver and a few other guys. But as we know, Matt, they just reload with some other future top 60 NFL draft pick. Well, and it's not like the Boise State defensive front is totally starting over. Sure. You know, Dimitri Washington came on pretty strong last year when, when Weaver was hobbled by injury uh, in November or December. You know, he's slated to start a defensive end. And I think, you know, if you follow the Boise State beat writers, it seems like they're going to be moving him around as a, as a kind of a chess piece. You know, he's back. Uh, Sam Whitney's back. Scott Matlock's back. Scale Gahion is back. So... There are some familiar names who've, who've put up some production in the past or been part of this rotation in the past. So it's not like, like you said, it's not like they are starting over up front. I think the bigger question is, you know, how well is Utah State's offensive line going to hold up? Because, you know, at least according to the read of, uh, the, you know, the Deseret News of Trent Wood over there, mm-hmm. he makes it sound like the, the, the situation is not quite as set as it may appear, at least according to the depth chart, mm-hmm. you know, Carter Shaw is going to be a right guard, but he makes it sound like, you know, of the other guys, a lot of familiar names, you know, Alfred Edwards uh, could be starting at left tackle or could be Andy Cook um, or Cook could be starting inside at guard or he could be seeing some playing time seated to Jackson Owens. So there's a lot more ors than you might expect on the offensive there line. Are. But they play and, and some of that, and some of that may just be if it may be a non-factor because they're going to be, you know, rotating guys in and out occasionally throughout the game anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. You know, whoever wins in the trenches up front, especially since I am, I am imagining they'll probably be a little more balanced now that they don't necessarily have a, a first-round NFL pick under center. Agree. Yeah, you know, I don't know how much they want to put the game in Shelley's hands right away, at least with regards to his arm. You know, maybe they do want those guys to be able to create a more consistent push up front. Yeah, like they have like Dr. Henry Cole, whatever you want to say about him, like we, people don't know too much about him. He'll be he's pretty good running back. Mm-hmm. Like it's just weird to think he could be at BYU right now. We're there to have a couple backs as well, but this is the chance to play. Like, I've been high in Joe Warren to came from junior college last year. A buddy of mine knows him pretty well. It's like he's the real deal. He just didn't play all all of last year, splitting time a little bit. I think he got nicked up a little bit as well. But He's a guy like people need to look out for, and I'm just saying that's a position where they're gonna want. I think they're going to lean more in the run than passing. I want to say, and it's still gonna be more like it won't be a huge like a shock, a huge difference, or going from a percentage where it's overly unbalanced. But your eyes can be more balanced, and they're gonna want to run more. And again, the offensive line like it's a lot of new guys like you mentioned, but it's also guys who played too, mm-hmm. and so position wise, maybe they have the depth that they're comfortable doing that, but. I'm not saying it's going to be an advantage, but I think that is an area where they could be have an advantage or like where they'll hold their own and do just fine. Yeah. So I'm um, looking at Jason Shelley's numbers real quick. For those who are wondering over at, uh, he was 
In 2019, for University of Utah, he played nine games. Just to give an idea, and he's played against Pac-12. He started or played one, two, three, four, about six, six plus games, just over seven games. He like he they beat Oregon, like a quarterback. He only threw 58 percent. Like he has wins over Oregon. He beat BYU, which fairly big deal. But then again, in the championship game versus Washington, only scored three points versus Northwestern. Only put up 20 points. He had about 60% passing rate. He didn't throw a lot of TDs. He had 5-6 to six TD interception ratio. So he's not great. Um, one of those was in Garber in the game where he came in last minute versus Arizona State where he took over for the injured Tyler Huntley. But he, I don't know. He'll be okay. But unless he, he's probably changed because he didn't play last year. Or I guess this was uh, two years ago, I should say. Last year he barely played. He got like garbage time in 2019. So, like he was hardly doing anything. So I guess the plus is the positive experience he's played. But Boise I mean, I State think, is probably harder than outside of Washington to be the toughest team he's ever gone up against in his career. But isn't it kind of strange that they're saying he won the job, but they're going to have packages for his backups, whether it's you know Legas or, or uh, Andrew Peasley? The coach speak, you think, or is it really they want to mix it up? Just, like, like do they do they want to share time in the way that you know Wyoming might, or is it going to be more of a package deal like we've seen with San Jose State over the last couple of years, especially last year? With you know, Josh Love was very clearly the primary starter, but they had packages that they were able to run with some success with Nick Nash. Like to me, that's kind of the big question: is like, what did they envision Jason Shelley actually being? Because in my mind, you know, the best case scenario is that he's kind of like their version of Marcus McMarion, where he also came in from a Pac-12 school, came in to Fresno State from Oregon State. You know, obviously he didn't get to start right away, but he was a guy who ultimately proved to be like a, a very efficient and, and very kind of mistake free kind of quarterback. I don't know if Shelley is exactly that kind of player or because I, I imagine they might enable him to use his legs a little bit more than than Fresno State did with, with Marion by design, you know, to kind of, you know, use a lot more zone read than than they did with Warren and Henry Cole in the backfield. To me you know, how they deploy him or how often they take him off the field for one of those backups, I think is going to be a, a really important thread to follow. Also, real quick, I'm looking at um, Shelly's running numbers. He had three rushing touchdowns. And I don't know how sacks and in play include for this, but three yards of carry, almost 200 yards. Mm-hmm. Basically 200 total yards when you take away sack yards about. So he has legs as well to move a bit. But I'm wondering if this move is to kind of uh, – because Boise State has little film on Jason Shelley besides those handful of games. Gary Anderson was around at Utah at the time, but he's like kind of an like an analyst. I want to say I don't think he's an official coach. Just like what Alabama does, they bring on everybody to be an analyst. I think that's what his <laughs> role was. So I I don't know. Like I think it's more of a let's see what we could throw at Boise State to make him have to prepare for a lot of things because they have nothing on the two backups really at quarterback. So I I I don't know what um. So I, mean, I think I think the other thing to keep in mind too is like, you know, how creative are they going to be in order to get the ball into their wide receivers' hands? Like, you know, it would not surprise me if they run a lot, you know, more jet sweeps than you've seen out of the Aggies in the past, sure. because they do have speed on the outside with guys like Jordan Nathan, and Devin Tompkins. So it would not surprise me if they chose to attack the edges with those with those guys, you know. I, I, I just don't know how exactly it's going to look, but I think it's imperative for them to do, if only because 
you know, one, I think it helps to not necessarily have a workhorse that Boise State can focus upon and try to slow down. I think if they if four or five guys end up getting a carry, that wouldn't surprise me at all. But also the other thing to keep in mind is that over the last couple of years, Utah State's been way better about protecting the pass or protecting in, in pass protection than they have been with regards to running the football. Like they had more of a drop off when it came to, you know, creating running lanes last year than than the year before. And so I think that's something to keep in mind is like they shouldn't necessarily be shy about letting Shelley drop back to pass. You know, if they run a lot of, you know, crossing patterns, a lot of, you know, quick outs, whatever you whatever you want to call it. I think, you know, creating opportunities to get the ball into the hand into you know, to the outside, I think is going to be important to them and really kind of challenging the corners, in particular guys like Avery Williams and, and Jalen Walker. But can they challenge those guys enough to make a difference? That's a good question. That's the thing I see. Like we're look, we'll get to Boy State side. We're we're spending a lot of time in Aggies, which is fine. But when you look at the whole offense, it's like they do have like Jordan Nathan receiver. They have some save on Scarborough. Like Utah State's not void of talent, which is kind of surprising. Why the spread's what 17, 16 and a half essentially? It's huge mm-hmm. for a home game. And with what's going on, it's like people can't practice as well. Like it's hard to confidently bet on these games, but we have a couple articles up if you want to look at, see what our guys are thinking, or even our picks ourselves. That's all the points for a home opener. It's like, this isn't some warm-up game either team gets to go against. Mm-hmm. But I think Boise, like, even though losing Curtis Weaver, you mentioned all the guys on the line, the defense will be fine. I think Utah State could have some success, but they have so many new guys that have to keep positions, like quarterback and essentially running back, but mostly quarterback. Uh, we don't know how much they've been practicing, really, because nobody can go. That's the hard part of the whole year. Once we see games, we can see what's going on. Because a majority of any FBS program, you can't go watch your practices. Anytime I talk to a coach, it's just on video call. or I mean, that's it. You don't get to see a dang thing, which they probably love, so they could do all this random stuff. But at least Gary Anderson saying a few things like, yeah, we may play this guy, we may play this, which is nice to hear so we have some idea, but it's hard to tell what's really going on. But we switched to Boy State here, Matt. Like they're offense- can, I just, can I just mention oh. one last thing? Go for it. There is one guy that's new to the offense, and I'm very interested to see what kind of role he ends up playing, and that's Justin McGriff, who, you know, relative to pretty much everybody else in the wide receiver core, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he is 6'6", 220, when pretty mm-hmm. much everybody else on, on the <laughs> wide receiver, yeah, everybody else who's expected, I think, to be a major contributor, you know, like Nathan Tompkins, uh, Taylor Compton, Savon Scarver, mm-hmm. all of those guys are you know, five foot 11. Finally, they have a big guy. Finally. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so, you know, you've got that big target, you know, I imagine they'll probably try and set him up for success in the red zone in particular, but you know, everybody else is relatively undersized compared to guys like Williams and Markel Reed and Walker, you know, um, among the cornerbacks. It's not like the Boise state's defensive backs are necessarily towering, except for maybe JL Skinner is the exception. Yeah. But, you know, busting him out and seeing how often they try to get him the ball or what routes they have him run in order to try and create some space for him. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested to see how that looks. You sure he's not a tight end? Uh, He's not because (laughs) they do have Carson Terrell coming back, replacing uh, Caleb Rapp. Like they haven't had a big receiver in a while. So that could be a thing where, I don't want to say position guy, but red zone guy, you need go the out pattern out of the end zone or the sideline where he's the only guy who can reach for it. Like, mm-hmm. you don't want to throw the jump balls, but throw like a uh, high arcing pass that's not the fade. Trust me, not the fade, but a high pass where 
it's only in his reach because DBs are normally not big. So that could be a guy where that could be a, a tough guy to get up, get up against. DBs like Avery Williams or whoever's up against him have to probably knock him out the line, get him off his routes, not allow him to have any space because you got to be very close to him, which could lead to defensive PIs if you have to play that close and bump up against him to get your hand in his face or knock the ball down or something. So that's definitely a player to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. All right, so go to Boise State side. We know they got quarterback Hank Bakabar, who is this, this is his first time playing Utah State because I think this, he was injured or Jalen Henderson played last time. So what we know about Boise State, quarterback, there, running back, they're back. Um, the off- I think the big concern, which was a question, now I'll start right there, offensive line. Last a lot year, of new faces. It was not pretty last year either. There were sacks. There were bot snaps. There were a lot of issues last year. If it can literally be just a little bit better, it's going to go a so long way for this team to be good, even better than we thought. Well, I mean, de- depending on what stats you look at, it, they weren't really that bad in a lot of respects. Yeah, they they let Bachmeyer take a lot of hits, but you know some of that was on Bachmeyer too. You know, when it comes to overall sack rate, they were right around the national average. You know, it was six percent, which isn't great, but it's not terrible either. And when it came to opening running lanes for you know George Hawani, especially down the stretch. They were essentially a top 25 unit in that regard. And so I would say that there are some fairly lofty benchmarks for, you know, these new guys to, you know, aside from John Juke, who was the only returning starter from last year. I think that there's high expectations of them. But, you know, Jake Stetz graded out fairly well, at least according to Pro Football Focus. And I think if you're looking for another big kind of factor that could change this game one way or the other... It's the fact that Utah State wasn't necessarily great about stopping the run all season long. And they've got a lot of new faces up front, too. Like Justice Tae is back. But I think, you know, a lot of the other contributors, you know, Nick Henninger is not a defensive end anymore. He's an outside linebacker. How often are they going to have him with his hand in the dirt trying to rush the passer? Or, you know, how much is he how much of a factor is he going to play to you know, stop in the run? Um, you know, they're moving Cash Gilliam from a safety spot to an inside linebacker spot. You know, is he going to you know, be able to step up and, and keep Boise State from getting to the second level? Things like that. So, yeah, I think that it's fair to have reservations about the Boise State offensive line. But if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, I can't blame you, especially against a front that, you know, more often than not, especially down the stretch, that was something they had trouble with was stopping the run. Yeah, there's that. But going back to the offensive line, like, I want to count how many hits Bachmari took. Like, there mm-hmm. was times he's falling through. Like, he wasn't sacked. He did a great job at throwing the ball out there. But that's par- partially led to why he got hurt. Again, the Florida State game and other games where he was just getting hits or being chased, where he did a good job where the sack rate looked better than what it was. But if you were to go back and watch, like, how many times he was forced out of the pocket or a scramble player took a hit for where the play basically didn't go as planned, which plays don't, they break down. But it seemed a lot of time him chasing run, chasing defenders and getting out of their way or taking a big hit following through. So that's my, mm-hmm. kind of my point. Like your point's right. Their sack rate was fine. It wasn't bad. But just watching the game, like those don't show up when you look at stats or numbers unless you're diving super deep and looking at some advanced stat that's not made up or you're trying to make one up on the fly mm-hmm. or something. So, but but the, yeah, defense line like they replace guys to front four, front seven. It's I, it's like we mentioned the off season. It's not if, but when this guy comes up, like, hey, there's this new guy. He's going to be a redshirt sophomore now, going to be a leaf of the NFL early next year, and he could be, like I said, kind of half kidding a top 60, top 100 pick. 
they typically have the guy. So it's like people are like, oh, they always get ranked number one no matter what. Well, they've earned it and they have a track record of winning. Like, look at UCF. Like, they're kind of on the downturn, at least this year. Not that great. Like, look how many penalties they have. They're so far from being a disciplined football team. And you pointed out, Boise's lost, what, back-to-back games since, what, four years ago? And they rarely lose back-to-back games ever? Mm-hmm. So we give them the benefit of the doubt. All these positions, like, Avery, again, every position, like, secondary, they have good talent. It's just unknown talent. They recruited the top of the conference, basically, of your top three minimum. And so just look for these names. After a game or two, we'll see who the top guy is. Like, okay, there's the guy. And that kind of happened, like, with Leighton Van Der Esch a little bit. Like, well, who's this guy? Not coming out of nowhere, but he ended up being defensive player of the year and starring on the Dallas Cowboys. Like, mm-hmm. it's the, 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 and this is like any team in the conference, if you think about it. Like, you have, there's no, not going to be a freshman coming and just light it up. It takes a year or two. Like, they're learning behind these good guys. And with Weaver, like you mentioned, he didn't, there's some games he didn't play all the time, or same with David Mowitz. Like, these guys come in and play, and now they get their time to get out there. And it's going to be, that is going to be a struggle, I think, versus the offensive line, a little bit versus Utah State. Like, it's not going to be a cakewalk by any means. And, because I don't want to disrespect Utah State, but I think they have talent there. It's just that they're, like you mentioned, rotating guy, a bunch of orders at the depth chart, which, whether we believe or not, because uh, we'll get to Air Force, there's an issue there at the depth chart, but. I still think Boise State's more talented in this game overall because Hank Bachmar is a better quarterback, running backs better. I would, and also, do we mention Utah State lost like what three transfers and portal a couple of DBs? Like that's not good either. So about that, I think if there's one thing that could keep Utah State in this game or turn the game into their advantage, it's it's kind of the big question about Boise State's offense. In my opinion, is you know with John Hightower gone. You know, we know that Khalil Shakir is probably going to operate from the slot more often than not. So to me, the big question is, can Octavius Evans or C.T. Thomas or some of these other young guys that are that are expected, I think, to take on more prominent roles, are they going to be able to stretch the field as consistently as they did last year? Because between Hightower and Shakir, you're looking at a, at a duo that had 17 catches of more than 20 yards apiece. And... You know, looking at Thomas in particular, you know, he had eight plays of more than 20 yards in his, I think he had 41 receptions last year. So that's about, you know, one five, which, which isn't bad, but I'm interested to see if, or rather how much they can bump that number up. Because I think if Utah State has a strength anywhere, and that's even with the defections, I think it's going to be in their ability to defend the pass because they've got one of the more experienced and, and, you know, opportunistic safety duos in the conference in Shaq Bond and Troy Leffigan Jr. You know, the the guys outside, you know, Zerody Jackson, Andre Grayson, Cam Lampkin might be undersized relative to their peers on the other side of the ball. Um, But I think that they, you know, if they can slow down Thomas and Evans and everybody else, that might frustrate the offense a little more than Boise State would like. Because I think that, I think, they're going to have an easier time running the ball and it may not matter if they can control the clock, you know, if they can be more methodical than, you know, the offense has been in, in some times past. But to me, that's kind of the big thing is, you know, maybe it's like, you know, third and eight, you know, who is going to step up to make that first down play. You know, I think if Utah state can, you know, create situations to their advantage where Boise state has to throw the football and they can't do so consistently, that's the kind of thing that could, you know, you know, tilt the game in their favor in the long run. But you know, again, that's kind of a big if. We'll we'll see about that. 
All right, so prediction time. We spent a lot of time, lot of time in this one game. We got four, four more to go. <laughs> I think it probably is. So what do you got? What's your, uh, what's your move here? Okay, so first of all, I do have SP Plus predictions and FEI predictions. Go for it. So uh, per Bill Connolly, uh, according to SP Plus, Boise State is favored by 19.1. That's a lot of points. That's a lot of points. It's uh, 86% win probability. Uh, FEI is fairly close to that. They also favor the Broncos by 14.3. Personally, I've got the Broncos winning this one fairly handily. I think they'll cover 16 and a half. Uh, I'm going to say 38 to 20. It's interesting. So over-under is only 53 and a half. I would take the over. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like for that spread line, like 16 and a half, Compared to the over-under, it's kind of weird to have that big of a spread and over-under that low. I, I, Boise State's going to win. I think Utah State can cover because that's a lot of points. Because here's the thing. It's week one, whatever. Opening weekend, we'll say. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird year. I don't think Utah State can win, but I, I see Boise State like winning like 30-14. to 14. Like It'll just be just below. They'll win fine, but I somehow think, I think Utah State can cover. Okay. But I, yeah, I just think it's a weird season. But I also think Utah State could score points. So it'd be like a... I'm right at the edge, like at 16 points essentially. So I'm like right there where, but yeah, take the over. Oh, well, I guess if my my score is that, no, I no, I think Boise could put maybe 40 points, but it'd be like 40 to 24, something like that. I think there'll be a lot of points in this game, but I think it's going to be Boise winning. I'm sort of confident in saying that they won't cover, but yeah, take the over is my best bet, I guess, on this one. All right, all right, next game, same time. So you got to be dueling split screen games. You have Wyoming. Taking on Nevada. Also, it should be noted, no fans at, at Alberson Stadium. But I believe our buddy Ross bought a cardboard cutout. So I think he will, paper-wise, be in attendance for the game. There you go. <laughs> so look for him on TV, I guess. Also, real quick, somebody asked a question. How do you adjust to watch a game on TV with the blue because it hurts your eyes or it's not clear or doesn't look good? Can't you just adjust your TV tuner to make it green turf, essentially? She's got to get a standard definition television, I guess. Really, I am, really, really keep those colors from popping. Yeah, I'm not sure. How, yeah, I'm not sure how you. Yeah, you can do that, but there's a way to on older TVs. I don't know if the new nicer ones like HD 4K can change your color balance. You might be able to, but there's ways I've seen people do it where you can change your color balance on the TV, like movie mode or something like that. Something, but uh, but actually change what the color looks like. Yeah. So I don't know, but that's my only option for it. I get it's not the best viewing experience, I guess, because it can be a little awkward at times but uh that's our tech tip to watch this game Matt. all right there you go wyoming at nevada you have wyoming as a four and a half point road favorites we should mention it's on cbs sports network as that's well right cbs sports network five local time or no excuse me four local time in reno because they're pacific time zone so it's a late afternoon kick i believe there's no fans as well so for this game let's start with the nevada side since you're the home team i guess this time we know the quarterback right carson mm-hmm. strong I was looking at the depth chart. Did you see they put an or for starting running back? I did. That is that a little shocking, Toa Tao or Devontae Lee? Still shocking to me. Not necessarily. I mean, because I mean, and I think it's. I think we're both in agreement that Tawa kind of had a down year last year relative to where he was a, as a freshman. Correct. But I would also contend that Lee is probably or Devontae Lee is maybe one of the more underappreciated players in the conference right now. He like, I wouldn't say he's a star, but he's one of those guys where when he comes in in the game, it seems like he's, you know, always being, you know, relatively consistent, if not necessarily explosive. And so to me, you know, you look at a guy, he only had 66 carries last year, but he averaged, 
you know, over four and a half yards per carry, which is, you know, solid. And he also scored seven touchdowns. You know, he's, I think, been kind of the the lesser half of the running back tandem over the last couple of years. But it also wouldn't surprise me if he took more of the kind of workload that you know, Jackson Kincaid or Kelton Moore have had over the last couple of years. Now that it's basically just him and Tawa, you know, not only for Tawa's sake, but also to kind of keep, you know, keep him fresh and keep opponents off balance. Because you're talking about a, a pair of running backs who they both have similar really kind of punishing you know, it's not fun to tackle them running styles. And I think that for a team that had some trouble running the football at times last year, you know, and this doesn't adjust for sacks, but they only averaged three three point four yards per carry last year. You know, Lee actually outpaced Tawa on a per play basis. And that to me is kind of the key where I don't know that the or necessarily means anything. Other than that, you know, maybe you can expect him to see a little more playing time. You know, maybe it's not necessarily like 15 carries to mm-hmm. seven carries per game like it was last year. Maybe it's closer to like 12 and 12. You never know. And that can be good. That means they have depth as well, right? Yeah. Like, Tal- like the weird thing about Tal- his numbers weren't drastically different. They just didn't improve at all from a true freshman. Because mm-hmm. that's the weird thing. Like, I'm looking back at and I mentioned this a million times because we thought he'd be much better. So, like, he had 872 last year and 16 or two years ago in six TDs. He had, if I have it here, 807, six TDs. His yards per carry was down, like, by nine, less than half a yard. I mm-hmm. think it's just the more of the we, won't, we expect you to get a thousand yards, you know what I mean? Like, to get do a bit better. And that, yeah. and he had more carries per game this year than last year by about half, uh, just a little bit more, I believe it was, a couple more, one or two. So, if he keep like let's just say for example like looking at last year what they had he was their number one rusher by far you had he had 807 yards next guy was Kelton Moore only 126 mm-hmm. so if they can get two guys to combine for 1300 yards that's a pretty good good improvement and whether they both go eight and five or nine and four or seven and like more balanced it's going to be good if assuming they think Lee is as good as he says he is because their yeah. running game was was two and he wasn't it was fine. He wasn't great. He was just okay. They had no backup to relieve him at all. And he had 195 carries to 34. It's the next guy. So it's like, well, what are you going to do? Now they have a backup or a tandem to go at it. And I think it's only a good thing. But their offense, like overall, Carson Strong's back. He's really good. He's They finally got after last year going all the crazy stuff with transfers, guys quitting, guys returning to the team, the last chance you guys come in. You know what I mean? Like there is a lot going on. It's settled, which is going to be a positive for them. Receiver group like Elijah Cooks, um, Malcolm, Stol- Malcolm Stovall, they have all these guys out there. They're deep at receiver, Romeo Dabbs. Like, they have one of the deepest offensive units, and that's why I think they could be a West contender, or whatever you <laughs> want to call it, a title game contender this year. Because, again, folks, no division. So we'll keep making that mistake, say West team, Mountain team, all year long. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I think their offense is up there. So what do we want to say, like, one well, defense lost a couple guys to opt-outs. We mentioned a million times, like Logan Wilson's doing fine at the Bengals. Cash and Moima got drafted by the Patriots. It's Craig Bull. Is that all you need to know? It's Craig Bull defense and kind of uh, you're good with that? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a minute ago with Boise State and their offensive line where you know, we talk about units that get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, Solomon Bird is gone. Um, you know, he opted out. But, you know, Cole Godbout, who uh, he, he yeah, he's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolante Holt, who missed most of last year with injury, he's back. You know that you know that's the you know the plug in the middle right there. 
And, you know, against a unit, an offensive line that wasn't necessarily great about running the football consistently last year, they were much better at defending the pass than they were at opening running lanes, you know, by adjusted line yards per carry. I think I mentioned this over the offseason, but the Wolfpack were only 120th on offense in that regard. And they're going up against a unit that even with the losses was a top five unit with regards to like stuff rate and, you know, getting into the backfield, being disruptive and things like that. So, yeah, you're seeing a lot of new faces up front, but I wouldn't necessarily count out, you know, guys like Victor Jones and Jalen Page just because we don't know who they are. It seems to me like, you know, they always seem to have new guys mm, coming in. Exactly. So, like, is that the thing? It's like coming Boy State to, the, to a, maybe a slightly less degree. Eh, no, maybe the same almost. Maybe not as long term, I guess. It's a better way to put it, like almost a decade's worth of stuff. But they have the talent. It's just like we'll know when they come through and we see them. Because last year was finally the year because they're like, we're doing the show for a long time. A couple years ago, it's like Wyoming's defense was just dreadful. But they brought back all this returning talent first. Like Logan Wilson was a guy who started as a true freshman. Defense wasn't great. Year two got better. Year three, really good. Last year, really good. And so that's kind of what we're uh, getting at with that defense where it's finally a time where we can respect them to gonna do their thing, right? You know what I mean? All right, so with, again, Wyoming defense... I trust them more than anything else, Matt. I mean, I think if there's anything that Nevada should be doing in order to win this game, I think it's probably leaning on what they were doing the best by the end of last year, and that's throwing the football. Because while, you know, Wyoming's missing faces up front, you know, I think you could still expect them to be at least fairly formidable about being able to create a pass rush and, and things like that. So, I mean, if, if I were Matt Mummy, I would be calling a lot of, like, you know, plays where Strong can get the ball out quickly. Because if you look at his last four or five games of last year, you know, you're looking at, you know, a streak where he was completing at least 61% of his passes. You know, he averaged, uh, you know, about seven yards per play, which is, you know, more consistent from week to week than it had been in the first half of the year. And it was a lot more mistake-free down the stretch. Like in his last five games, he only threw one interception. So... To me, you know, even despite the fact that, you know, they've got experience on the back end, Wyoming does, in in guys like Azizi Hearn, you know, CJ Colden is back from injury. And I think even without, you know, guys like Rome Weber in the in the at, at safety that Esaias Gandhi and Braden Smith are uh, a pretty solid duo in their own right. To me, the fact that you've got playmakers on the outside who you can trust to be able to make a big catch, like, you know, like Elijah Cooks, like Romeo Dobbs. To me, I think that's where you win this game is you try and you try and attack them early through the passing game. I totally agree. Yeah, because they have like again, they have the weapons to do it. If they're replacing those guys back there, that that's the area. But um, yeah, that's whoosh. they need to do it early. They can't just do it like um, willy nilly. If that's my point, I'm getting. You know, I mean, you got to do it kind of all yeah. the time. Like do it, do your. I know they got the running game. They want to mix it up, but like do do the uh, pass it. What six of your first ten, eight of your first ten do anything you can to uh, pass the ball. But let's look at, like, really quick, go back to Wyoming's offense, I guess, real quick. We'll switch mm-hmm. it up a bit. Like, what's their quarterback going to be? Sean Chambers, Levi Williams. Um, I think they're fine with either. But as we know, Levi Williams can actually pass the ball a little bit, relatively speaking to uh, Sean Chambers. She likes to run and throw stiff arms, Matt, if we recall. I mean, I think it's telling that there is no or between their names. I think they're expecting Chambers to kind of be the guy, but I think you're right that one of the kind of the long-running narratives at this point about the Wyoming offense, especially with Chambers in charge of it, 
is how effective of a passer can he be? Because we, we've seen it in flashes, but we've just never seen it consistently. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where you don't necessarily want to keep thinking that, okay, well, they're still going to be one of the more run-heavy teams in the country. But at some point, they're going to have to step back and be able to, you know, move the chains. And I, I almost wonder if, like, leaning more on play action might be useful because that was one of the things that they did, you know, relatively sparingly with both Williams and Chambers last year. And from what I can recall, I don't have any numbers in front of me. But anecdotally, it seemed like that was one of those things that really worked well. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they moved in that direction because, you know, you know, Nevada up front is going to be expecting a healthy dose of the run one way or another. And, you know, I think they have the talent up front to be able to slow them down, maybe a little more so than they were able to last year. You know, with guys like Dom Peterson and Sam Hammond, Cameron Toomer up front, I think that there'll be a good challenge for a, a, a deep and experienced Wyoming offensive line. But, you know, we've seen, especially late in the year, that the receivers that Wyoming has coming back can make plays. You know, I'm looking at, I'm thinking of Iden Everhart in particular and in, in his performance in the Arizona Bowl. So I almost wonder if that's a wrinkle that we'll see a little bit more of early and often out of the out of the Wyoming offense, just so that way, you know, teams won't be able to just key on the run all the time. Because, again, you might be able to expect it. You might not be able to stop it all the time. But I think ideally Craig Bull and Brent Vigan would want to have at least a little bit of balance or at least a little bit of efficiency when it comes to both running and passing. Yeah, like they have the best. I think it's the best running back in the league, just about Xavier Valade. And so, I think they're going to be more run heavy. But you're right. Like, how effective is a read option going to be when they know it's going to be run? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if they know, like, you can stack against that. And okay, we'll bring eight guys, play single coverage, and we'll dare you to beat us downfield against a receiving group who, if I'm correct, Matt, all new starters, right? On the outside, I think, or unproven guys, very little. Well, Everhart kind of came on later in the year. I know Gunnar Gentry. Um, a little you bit. remember the last name? Yes, <laughs> exactly. If he's, anything like his, if he's anything like his brother, I think they'll be in good hands. Um, but you know, to me, one of the more interesting things that popped out when you look at the depth chart, and I think that I wasn't alone in this, is the fact that they have a sophomore, Trayton Welch, listed as a starter at tight end as well. Hmm. And he's not necessarily kind of the big imposing figure that the other guys on the depth chart, Nate Wyman and Jackson Marcotte, are, you know, set to be. Like he's only six three. Those two guys are six seven. But I'm 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 interested to see if maybe he's a better fit for an offense that, you know, if they want to go vertical, maybe he's just a better fit to do that. Maybe he's a little bit faster. Maybe he can get a step or two on linebackers that the other guys at that position can't. And if that's the case, then I think, you know, guys like Lawson Hall and EJ Muhammad are going to have, you know, they're going to have really important roles in order to slow that down because they'll be kind of manning the the second level and and manning kind of the seams. And so if they attack up the seams with a guy like Welch, then those two guys, I think, are going to be primarily responsible for stopping them. So one quick thing, let's get to picks here for this moment. Um, Also, one thing we should note, Nevada's backup quarterback is six feet nine inches tall. That's impressive. So, um, John Elway, you're looking out for this guy, maybe? He <laughs> <laughs> like the tall guys like Brock Osweiler years ago. So, the game is three and a half points in favor of Wyoming's, or four and a half, I guess. Wyoming's a road favorite. I'm looking at our staff who's picking what. It's um, You're in a minority for picking the winner. You want to tell people who your winner is? I got Nevada. Yeah, Nevada winning. 
Why? Why I do you think? Am I the? Oh, no, I'm not the only one. You are not. You have I'm close to the only one. Erwin and Sam are both going to that. Everybody else is going Wyoming. State your case for the Wolfpack one. So I think it just comes down to offensive firepower. Like mm-hmm. you know, to me, the game is not going to be anywhere close to how it was last year, where you know the offense got off to a really, really slow start in that game, and then they just couldn't stop Wyoming early on, and it was basically over like by the end of the first quarter into the second quarter, I think strong is going to have a much better performance this time around. And they're going to need, you know, a balanced attack in order to keep up. And I don't know if Wyoming has the horses to do that. So I I do expect it to be close. Um, I should probably note SP plus real quick uh, and FEI. So uh, SP plus they favor Wyoming by 1.8, 54% win probability Uh, FEI also has the Cowboys by 6.9, but I would take Nevada in a close one. I'm going to say uh, 28 to 24. All right. I got, well, I could mention Wyoming winning what close game because it's, um, sorry, the line, it's, I'm looking at two different pages here. What's, I guess in our page when we actually first put the lines out three and a half, so I guess we'll go with that. According to Vegas Insider, yeah. uh, it opened at two. It is currently four and a half. Okay. So if you want to go with that. Sure, whatever. Um, I, Wyoming's going to win. I, here's my reason why. I think... I'm not a super big fan. Of, I know one Nevada has like Don Peterson, pretty good defender. One was your top five on our list this year? Top fifty? Number four. Number four. Okay, there you go. Top five. I, technically number two because number two, no more than two guys are not around this year. So I'll move my boss. Is number two defender in the league? <laughs> but I think what it comes down to, like I, I, I'm hyped up Nevada's offense. I think Wyoming's defense, despite having some new guys, I think they can get it done. And Valade's like, he'll just run the ball 25 times, and he'll get it done. Like I trust either Wyoming quarterback. The shuffling too much could be an issue, but you mentioned there's no or, and so if they stick with one guy, that's fine. Like, I, I'm fine with either of those guys. Like they beat Purdue last year's whatever Big Ten team, but they they make comebacks. They can do good things. They have a good kicker. They have or that's the I'm sorry, Nevada has a really good kicker. Sorry, Paul's getting teams mixed up there. But I just go back to thinking they have the best player in the field. I think is Xavier Valdez, and that's who I think is going to win. And the defense is going to be just fine, even if it's not as good as it would normally is. It's still going to be above average, and that's why I got Wyoming winning. Like, okay, if I get the line right here, I want to make this correct. I, I haven't put my score down, so I guess I got to put it now. Over under is only fifty one, which sounds about right. Probably take maybe take the under, or be it'll be close. You said twenty eight, twenty four. That would be slightly over. That's that's as close as you can get to being over. I think it's going to be like twenty one seventeen for Wyoming. Not many points this game. All right then. All right, what's up next? We have Hawaii at Fresno State, which. Uh, you're able to watch this game, aren't you, Matt, in your area? On local television, for those of you in the Central Valley, you're going to want to tune into KC24, the uh, NBC affiliate. If you are on the mainland, though, outside of the Central Valley, bear in mind that there's going to be an app that you'll need to download either on your mobile device or on your smart television or something like that. Um, it has not been announced, is- but I've been emailed. It was not told this is off the record, so I'm going to save it now <laughs> for the Northwest. Do you have the app in front of you? I'm trying to pull it up here in our messages. I don't, I can't scroll up fast um, enough. I don't have it downloaded on my phone, but for those of you, we'll put all the information out there on Twitter, on Facebook, and everything like that. But it's called Team One Sports. Mm-hmm. Should be available on both Android and Apple. It is as I, well as over the top platforms. It should be available on Roku. Should be Amazon available on Fire Amazon Stick. Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they no, said no they laptop. said specifically no, no laptops, no desktops due to geo restrictions and getting around that or not getting around that and if you're on the islands it's going to be available via spectrum pay-per-view 
for far too much money. Apologies in advance. Um, here's exactly what he said here. I think I have it here. Hold on. I'm looking for it. Um, oh, never mind. But yeah, it's, it's the app you mentioned. We'll put in our team previews. I looked at it. There is a test page for Y football. So if you're not in the mainland, um, or if you're on the mainland, it did, I'm not sure there's Chromecast capability. Do you remember when it was on Stadium? They kind of blocked. I don't believe so. They no. blocked that. But if you have Roku, like I do, or a lot of people Amazon, or go buy a Fire Stick for 20 bucks, you know what I mean? Plug in there mm-hmm. and watch on TV. So you can force your screen to TV, but it doesn't look the best. So that's how you can watch the game. And so I guess the Mountain West Network, Network is not streaming anything this year, so there's that. But yeah, get that Team One app and you'll be good to go. But as for the game itself, Hawaii has a quarterback, and who you've heard of, Matt, I believe, Shavon Cordero. Is that correct? Is that mm-hmm. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they have a quarterback there who is pretty good. They have a new head coach in Todd Graham. One thing I just noticed, I'll kind of bounce around. Uh, first off, Fresno's favored by four. 66 over-under. Oh, boy, that's a lot of points. That is. So I was chatting with Hawaii Radio. I had to do a quick interview with them. They were telling me their defense side of the ball. Did you notice anything about their depth chart at all, Matt, that looked a little different? Hawaii's depth chart? Yeah. Uh, you can say see. no, we can move on to it if you're not sure. <laughs> well, let's see. They still got the four wide receivers. They've defensively, got one running back. Defensively, uh, let's see. They're running a 4 3. Okay. I'll skip to it. Um, I'm not seeing anything that jumps out to okay. me. Okay. So yeah. well, unless, de- unless you're lying on the depth chart, I was chatting with the guy, radio voice of Hawaii football, Bobby Curran. He's like, they want more speed. So if, basically, saying if you're a linebacker, you're now basically a defensive end or defense lineman, moving, oh, every, right. moving everybody okay, yeah. up a level. Because so like I'm looking at the names now, and I'm and I'm the first thing I notice when you say that is Corey Bethley, who played safety mm-hmm. last year, now listed as a linebacker mm-hmm. alongside Jeremiah Pritchard and Quentin Frazier. Basically, they want the need for speed to tackle and get to the quarterback as fast as they can. And I kind of trust Todd Graham. Like he was at Rice, they were terrible. Bowl game, Tulsa did pretty good. Like Pitt, ASU is fine. So we kind of got to trust him. And so that's interesting, unique because also. Going up against Fresno, Matt, like Ronnie Rivers, who's a pretty good running back. They're going to get get to him. He catches the ball in the backfield. He runs well. They have a new quarterback in the Washington transfer. So that'll be interesting to see if how that speed works because why not? Try something a bit different because their defense hasn't been all that great. So why not mix it up a little bit and see if just being faster and more nimble and leaner. Because if you're a defensive end or maybe even defensive lineman, and you got that speed. You got the first quick, first twitch off the line. You got your got to step on the guard or tackle or even center. You're just that much faster to beat the corner or cut him inside. And so that it makes might... me wonder how much they plan on blitzing this year. If that's the case, would you think more or no? Because they're already faster, not worry about it as much. Hard to say. That's what we're watching game one. I guess that's something to look out for, folks. <laughs> but I think that you could make a case that that's kind of been the emphasis for Fresno State on offense too. Mm-hmm. Um, is trying to get more speed into the starting lineup, you know, because you know Ronnie Rivers is obviously one of the more well-rounded weapons anywhere in the conference. You know, he's a guy who can run between the tackles and you know create something in space out of the backfield. You know, in the passing game. But you look at the starting wide receivers. Have you looked at Fresno State's depth chart at all? Not as much as you, so go ahead and enlighten me. So they've got Chris Coleman back at uh, wide receiver after his after having to spend most of the year at cornerback last year because of injuries. Uh, they have Carrick Weepall, who you might recall averaged about 18 yards a catch last year, and they Not have bad. Jalen Cropper in the starting lineup. I saw multiple people point out, where is Zane Pope? Yeah, where is Zane he Pope? Was, is that, that's a good question. Nobody knows. <laughs> But, you know, it's one of those things that tells me that Fresno State's trying to do the same kind of thing. They're trying to get as much speed on the field as they can. And, you know, maybe if Hawaii is in a position where they want to bring more pressure on Jake Hayner, the new 
starting quarterback for the Bulldogs, you know, maybe it's incumbent on him to get the ball out quickly and let his playmakers make plays in space. And I think with a trio like Coleman, Cropper, and Wheatfall, they'll be in a good position to do that. And I think when you take into account, too, that, fingers crossed, the offensive line will be completely healthy in week one, which they really weren't for most, if not all, of last year. You know, that was a unit that, when it was healthy, was pretty good about helping the offense be able to stay upright, to be able to stay on schedule, to create big plays and things like that. So to me, that's something I would keep an eye on is if we know that both teams are going to be emphasizing speed on 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 defensive side of the ball for Hawaii and for, on offense for Fresno State, you know, how is that ultimately going to play out? Are they or is Fresno State going to be tempted to take deep shots or are they just going to try and, you know, work the edges like we talked about a little bit ago with uh, with uh, Utah State? I did find if you're wondering what's up with Zane Pope preseason injury. Bummer. So odds of him playing this week, because he's not in the depth chart, slim to none, I would say. And so that's what the Ryan Grubb said. He confirmed that Zane Pope had an injury and wake, make his there way back. So there's that. So that's going to be a big difference in week one. Like, how's that going to impact the, to the new quarterback for Fresno State, who has not played? He beat out, what, Ben Wooldridge, I want to say? Was that the uh, who played last year? Uh, yes. A little bit. So comes from Washington. We're a pretty good program. What do you make of him? It's like, because last year we always joked, not joked, but, uh, Said Jorge Rain wasn't great, but it was more the offensive line. So is that combination of a new quarterback and a, I guess I'll say more experienced line going to be beneficial for them? I mean, I think it's really hard to hold anybody to the same standard that McMarion, you know, really played at in his two years. You know, when it just comes to taking care of the football. But you know, I think one way that Fresno State could really alleviate that problem is if they decide to lean on Ronnie Rivers mm-hmm. and Jordan Mims. And other guys who I would assume might have a, a role in the running game, like Javon Bigelow, the former Wyoming transfer. Um, you know, that's a trio right there where I think if they wanted to line up and say, OK, you want to <laughs> you want to play fast, but not necessarily hard. We'll just run between the tackles 30 times and keep your offense off the field and do more or less what they were able to do against Hawaii last year. You know, that was one of the, the games that Fresno State was really most effective when it came to just running the football. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they chose to go in that direction instead, where if they wanted to play between the tackles and really force Hawaii to, to step up and make plays, you know, I think they have the horses to do that with at least three running backs in the, in the, in the backfield that I would trust if I were that coaching staff, if I were Ryan Grubb uh, to shoulder that load. Okay. Let me, um, Let's switch this there. Let's go to Hawaii's on the flip side of the ball because we know Fresno lost Justin Rice to Arkansas State, mm-hmm. who's doing really good. Um, Hawaii brings in Enrico Busby, who people love. They have Jared Smart. They have a lot of good uh, receiving gurus. Can I say guru? Is that a good enough word for their offense? I don't know. I'll go yeah. with it. They're wide receiver. They're, they're, they're stacked. Let's put it yeah, that that's the point. They have lots of good I mean, talent. They're, they're bringing back Keith Stovall, who got suspended last year. He's not even a starter on Ew, depth boy. chart. That's a. Uh, so how's Fresno State going to handle this? Because their defense wasn't – we know they're known for the defense past couple of years. Last year wasn't great. I think even with Shavon Cordero throwing the ball, it may not be as much throwing for Fres- or excuse me, for Hawaii. But they're not going to ignore that because why would you ignore that when you have probably the best receiving group in the conference and a quarterback who, while technically a new starter, has played the past two years probably at least half a season? Well, I think that's where you know the 
effectiveness of their new look defense is really going to come into play because they're not playing a 4-3 anymore, really. They're mm-hmm. going, they're moving to a 4-2-5. And they're moving a guy like LaBelle Bailey, who was mm-hmm. more or less, he was kind of like a safety linebacker hybrid last year. And they're just kind of expecting him to, you know, be a kind of Keon Blankenbaker type playmaker or a, a Kekko. He's he, like, I think the best case scenario is he, he steps up and plays like their version of Kekaula Kaniho. Let's put it that way. Mm. But I think it's fair to say, how are they going to hold up? Because there's a lot of surprises in the starting lineup for the secondary. You know, they got a redshirt freshman Braylon Lux on one side. They got Wyland free moving from safety to corner on the other. And then they got Deontay Perry, who, if I remember correctly, was a running back throughout most of last year, starting a strong safety. And so, you know, they're going to, be pushed by the amount of receivers that Hawaii is going to throw at them because as much as as much as you know Bobby Cran seemed to emphasize speed on defense they're going to have that on offense too um with guys like Jared Smart with guys like Lincoln Victor Rico Busey guys who can stretch the field and so it won't surprise me if if Fresno State's not able to generate a strong pass rush which to me is still kind of one of the big questions about this defense and the new faces up front like Kevin Atkins might be able to be a little bit disruptive. I think he's basically the only guy up front who has a track record of that. So the other guys around him are going to have to find ways to get past an, an experienced and, you know, an, an, an offensive line that's been doing this for a while, keeping the quarterback upright. Because if they can't put pressure on Cordero, then he could have all day to pick them apart. And to me, going back to what you originally mentioned about the spread for this game, mm-hmm. That is why I don't understand why Fresno State is favored. And me too, I'm like, take your money and go toward Hawaii, right? I mean, yeah, I, I just, I have enough questions on the defensive side of the ball where it's like, especially when it comes to defending the pass, are they going to be any better about it than they were last year? I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's what we got game one for, right? That's true. I Like, yeah, four points. Like when I saw the line, I'm like, I get there at home. I, I, what I think the line probably would make me hesitant to take, like, I want to take Hawaii plus whatever. And then I'll be like, it's four right now. It's like, okay, maybe they can lose and still obviously cover if you're going to put any bets. And again, our buddy Josh Fredlund, who's doing a post where he has a, you get to make him, force him to do a bet, guys. So we pick four bets. And I don't think this is one of the, we should have, we should have incorporated those better next time. We'll do that, Josh, for you so we can get some more pub. But I would be comfortable, like, if Hawaii was even a five-point favorite, I'd probably even lean Hawaii at five, maybe even six. Mm-hmm. Is that how you're feeling, or how do you feel? Like, what's your what's your cutoff point for if Hawaii were favored? Like, eh, I'll go Fresno. Maybe like a touchdown? That's what I'm thinking. I'd think right about touchdown. So we're heads our bets here. I guess we're telling what people are doing. I'm taking Hawaii to win and cover. Same. Same. Do you? I mean, wa- I think I think it'll be a competitive game. Mm-hmm. I kind of forecast both of these teams as having fairly similar kinds of outlooks in most of their games throughout the season where I think they'll both be able to put up points, which is why I would definitely recommend taking the over if I were anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, in this particular instance, if I were looking for one defense to make a stop over the other, especially when it comes to containing the pass right now, I think I would trust Hawaii a little bit more, which is why I have them winning 38 to 34. Yeah. If I go score route, I think, What's over under 62? I think it could be... 66. Oh, boy. 66. I think... I'd actually take the over. Because with Kellen DeBoer there, I think he wants to be more offensive inclined, like he did the past couple years. 
Because remember, he's the OC, Fresno, two championship appearances, one win. But I think, yeah, I think like, I think I might be able to win by 10. I think I can, might lean like 40 to 30, something like that. All right, then. All right, move on. Boy, we got to quit. We got to, Matt, we got to figure out how to shorten these up a little. We're going long winded today, but hopefully people enjoy it. All right. UNLV at San Diego State. The over under is 49, Matt. 49 points. That does not surprise me. Is that too high? <laughs> Don't you remember the conversations we had like literally week in and week out last year? Yeah, it's going to get to the 30s. When you, just, when you get to San Diego State, just bet the under every single Hold time. Hold on, though. 49 point over under. See what the line is? 15 for San Diego State. Um, this game is also on the home of Aztec Football CBS Sports Network, of course. That still stands mm-hmm. true. 7.30 Pacific, so it's that late kick game. A little, I guess, latest evening kick for depending where you live. But for this game itself, it's not played in San Diego, even though here on ESPN they say it's SDCCU Stadium. Not the case. It's up in Carson City, about a, or Carson, I guess, 100 miles away. It's just what, over 100. No fans are in stands. So does, somebody asked like a question, does it matter? Like, how's it going to be playing away from home? It's like not all that much, except for San Diego State. Probably for this game, they're probably going to leave at three o'clock, I guess, local time to get up there, maybe noon. To get there at two o'clock to be ready five hours before, four hours before kick or something. That's mm-hmm. about it. That's that could be a little draining on the bus ride for about two plus hours for a home game. But overall, I don't think it's gonna make a difference. We like we mentioned before, next year it could, depending on what fans are permitted. But for the game itself, like I'm not a fan of UNLV, but I'd also okay. I can't sit Matt, I'm still conflicted with Aztecs. I had them going seven and one, but I don't really like them all that much. <laughs> what am I doing here? I think what you're doing yeah. here is thinking about, you know, Defense. the questions that both of these teams have. To me, the you know, it really comes down to, you know, if we want to start talking about them right off the bat, what is the UNLV defense going to do? I don't and know, but I don't trust look, the Aztec offensive pass against the crappy secondary they have. And when you look at what they were able to do in this game last year, that was really one of the better overall performances that UNLV had on defense. You know, and, and I, I would actually say all around, even though it was a close loss, you know, they were able to avoid kind of the backbreaking mistake that a lot of other teams couldn't. And, you know, they were able to hold uh, a relatively limited offense in check. Like, you know, they were coming off of a, of a game where they gave up over eight yards per play to Fresno State, and they only gave up about five and a half to San Diego State, which, you know, isn't great, but it isn't that bad, you know? Excellent. So, like, what do we what do we trust about either team? What's the thing you trust the most? I mean, I guess if it's anything, it's the UNLV offense. You trust that more or, than or versus defense? the San Diego State defense. Yeah, I mean, I think you're talking about strength on strength and weakness on weakness, and that's why, at least on paper, it's really hard to tell how this game is going to unfold. So our new buddy, new writer on our site, Hunter Hewitt, he wrote for us a long time ago. He played for was San Diego State. He does not trust his Aztec defense at all because he's telling me they're going away from the three three five. Yeah, Zach Arnett. Because I saw an article from the Union Tribune that says that they aren't. I don't know. He said they might be mixing it up a little bit. So I don't know. That's why I'm confused. I'm like, he knows some people there. We see what they're writing. But are these guys even watching practice as well from the Tribune? And so I don't know. I I hesitate to be fine. But like, I'm getting all this information. Like, what do I believe? What's going on? And it's so like he DMs me that. I'm like, ah. I think he's just a huge Rocky Long fan, which why I could see his point where whether they change or not or slowly migrated out, because that'd be the smarter move to do. Because he gets to take over the defense on his own. 
if he wants to fan three through five or he wants to implement his own thing to be his own guy, he should do it slowly. So maybe that's what they're doing. He kind of alluded like, well, they're going to probably switch it, but he really wants to do this. But losing Rocky Long also can't be understated. However, you're playing the Rebels, so it shouldn't matter if we quit, right? Maybe not, but, you know, the, the Rebels have at least one proven entity on offense, and that's Charles Williams. And, you know, for, for everything, you know, for all the potential jokes you could make about the Rebels' offense, you know, he was one of the better running backs in the conference last year. And he was definitely one of those guys who was able to keep them in the game more often than not yeah, last year. He is their only guy that's really good. Like, and and I think when you compare that to the to the quarterback kind of mystery that the Marcus Arroyo has really constructed for himself and for the Aztecs, you know, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the UNLV depth chart at all. Um, yeah, like their three three headed quarterback situation. That's one of the things on there. <laughs> yeah. So if it were you, who would you start at quarterback? Justin Rogers. Why is that? Because he came from TCU. Um, I don't know. You have you have Oldwood there who did all right, but I. They're hiring him and bringing him in, and he got the waiver to be eligible, which means they, whatever you want to think of the waiver, they really want him to play. You don't bring in a quarterback. Like, there's two ways of thinking of this. Let me back up. Like, they bring him in because waivers are now basically moot point, essentially. Now you can transfer at least once freely, which is great, and I love it. They brought him in this past, whatever he came in, summer, I don't recall. Probably knowing he was going to sit out but still try for a waiver. Now that he's approved for the waiver... I think you want to go with that guy. Plus, he's a Marcus Arroyo guy. Because think about it, the other guys they have, they're there from Tony Sanchez. And if you're a new coach, you want your guy to be quarterback. And that's kind of why I think they're going to lean toward Rodgers. But I do I do expect, I wouldn't be surprised. What would surprise me if they played one quarterback, whoever it may be, if they stuck with one guy? I fully expect to see more than one quarterback in this game. But I think, I think they'll I think roll with Rodgers. If they were playing anybody else, I would say... Yeah, go go with the quarterback rotation. But when you're going up against the Aztecs, I think you have to find one guy and stick with him. I don't think you can mess around against a team like this. And, you know, if it were me, I would go with Oblad just because of the three guys in this rotation, he's the one guy who has had the most recent success against this Aztecs defense. You know, we talked about Williams a moment ago, but, you know, it, and he wasn't he didn't like light the world on fire. You know, he only completed 21 of 39 passes in last year's matchup, but he had 255 yards, had two touchdowns, and most importantly, zero interceptions. And when you consider the fact that they're also going to be missing some of their bigger weapons in the passing game, you know, you may notice that Randall Grimes isn't anywhere on the two deep. That's right. So he's going to have, you know, some relative unknowns, you know, in the rotation that he's going to be thrown to, like Kyle Williams, true freshman. Um, Jacob Gasser, who I believe only had like 10 pass or 10 catches last year. I think having a guy who's been with these other guys, you know, in the system or at least in a similar kind of system, I can't imagine it's gonna be that much different if they're going three wide on their depth chart. I think that that will be an asset and it may not matter, you know, because, you know, they've got pretty much everybody on the offensive line coming back. And this is still a team, I think that is built to run. They've got 300-pounders up front who I think could challenge the San Diego State defensive front as talented as they are. You know, they could give guys like Cameron Thomas, Kashawn Banks, and, and, and the linebacker core, whoever they choose that fourth or fifth guy to be on any given play, 
they should be able to challenge them with the running game. And, and if the goal is to kind of slow the game down and limit possessions to give yourself the best chance to win, I would say the Rebels are still equipped to do that. Yeah, but I don't think they have enough anywhere. That's a problem to be good. Or, you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. when you see what they're able to do or not do, it's like, this is beyond a year's year situation. Like we both predicted them to go over. So we know where our results going in this game. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but if, if you, and conversely, though, if you look at the other side of the ball, like if you look at San Diego State's offense versus UNLV's defense, mm-hmm. I know that we talked about this when we were doing our revised schedule uh, predictions, but I think it's worth mentioning again that, you know, San Diego State's projected by SP Plus, for instance, to have a bottom five offense, mm-hmm. and UNLV is projected to have a bottom five defense. So in this particular case, something is going to give. It's just a matter of what. And to me, there's, you know, several questions at play that are going to shape how this game unfolds. You know, one, can they get a pass rush on him? Because UNLV wasn't necessarily great about that last year, but against San Diego State, that was one of the games where they were more successful. I believe they had like one or two sacks in that game, which for most weeks was kind of unheard of. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on, on those new guys on the front line, you know, guys like Jacoby Windman who saw playing time kind of sparingly last year, you know, guys like Jalen Graves another TCU transfer, Adam plant, who personally I think could have a bigger impact on this game. If he can, you know, wreak some havoc, to me, that's kind of number one. And then number two, is San Diego State going to be able to generate more of a running game than they did last year? Because against the Rebels, wasn't really their strength, as it was most weeks. You know, they didn't really have anybody who was able to get it going. They only averaged, uh, you know, four yards per carry, which for a Rebels, you know, run defense that gave up over five yards per carry last year, one of their better performances on the year. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on those guys in the backfield, guys like Jordan Bird, who, you know, last we saw him was running wild in the New Mexico Bowl. Whether it's him, whether it's Kagan Williams, Greg Bell, Chance Bell, Chase Jasmine, they've got as many options as they've had in the past. But one of the one or two of those guys is going to have to step up and just be better than they were last year. I don't know if they will, though. That's a problem. However, they put like six running backs in their depth chart, so I don't know what to believe. Fullback, yeah. running back, we talked about it last last show, but. Uh, Let's go with our picks here. We're picking San Diego State to win, right? Uh, yes. Right? Okay, you, you paused there for a moment. So I was like, what, what's going on? So, so, SP, so SP Plus <laughs> favors uh, favors the Aztecs by 17.6. That's an 85% win probability. Mm-hmm. And that's that's right in the neighborhood of what they gave Boise State to beat Utah State. Um, FEI also favors the Aztecs by 17.4. I don't know if I see that kind of game unfolding. I think th- it'll be kind of a knockdown, drag em out fight, to be honest. It's not going to be close. I mean, it's going to cover, right? Because everybody on Earth, look at you. We're both looking at Google Doc. I see highlighting stuff. We all have San Diego State, but only one person has them to cover. I think UNLV is going to cover 14 and a half. I have yeah. San Diego State winning 21 to 13. I'll go. I'll just agree with you, sure. It'd be like that because Aztec's offense isn't great. It'll just be like the, it's like the uh, game a couple years ago. We joke about the sleeper hold versus Fresno State. It was like a seventeen to three game, but was not even close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what I think a lot of these Aztecs games will be. All right, final game of the day: San Jose State hosting Air Force. Air Force is a seven point road favorite. This does include losing an offensive lineman in the game too, unfortunately. Big one too. 
Um, it's one of the two, and I'm split space on the which. It is all? Nolan Loffenberg. So one of the All Americans they have, Nolan Loffenberg. You, you would never know it by looking at the Air Force too deep. Um, <laughs> not because he caught COVID, but because of contact tracing protocols. I guess he was exposed to someone who has COVID, and so as a precautionary measure, he's going to be sitting this week. And it doesn't mean he caught it from a player either. Because no, I think it was it, it was like a classmate or yeah, something like that. Yeah, Academy is still, I believe, basically a business as usual. Yeah, I mean, they can't say much else yeah. for, you know, HIPAA purposes or things like that. But They could, but they're not. I think it's, I mean, it, it kind of makes a little bit of a difference, don't you think? Yeah, a little bit. Not a lot, but what it does, I mean, a couple things. We know San Jose State's uh, rushing defense needs improvement over the past couple of years. It's needed improvement, so it will be a difference. Okay, heck, losing All-American in any position is going to hurt you. But mm-hmm. how much will it hurt you against a team like San Jose State who's already not great at stopping the run? And Air Force brought up a new running back essentially um, a couple weeks ago, and they've already played Navy. They have a game under the belt, and they go deep running back, Kate Remsburg, and everybody else they have. Like with any anything, they go deep running game. It doesn't matter. This may well, you know what it might mean. They might instead of averaging five point nine yards a carry, five point two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, it will, I mean, but that that really is to me number one with a bullet point. It is in yeah. this matchup. Mm-hmm. San, or San Jose State has to stop the run. And more specifically, they have to stop the fullback dive because that was something that ripped them to shreds last year in this matchup. And if you recall the Navy game, that to me is kind of one of the lasting images that I have of that game is Timothy Jackson and and Ben Roberts really running wild against the middies or Brad Roberts, excuse me. So to me, that is where you start. And that is where Laufenberg's absence is is a, is notable because they're going to be replacing him with probably some combination of Hawk Wimmer and Britton Beasley, you know, depth pieces, but you know, as far as we know, not necessarily of a potential all American caliber. And so I think that that makes the job easier for the guys in the middle of the trenches for the Spartans, you know, Jake Akiva, Lando Gray, Cam Alexander, you know, that's a trio right there. That's going to be responsible at the point of attack for keeping those running lanes relatively tight. And if they can do that, then they can give themselves a chance to, you know, not only get off the field, but to you know, give their offense a chance to make plays once they get on. Well, <laughs> are we, what are we, uh, you're right and all that. I'm not going to disagree because this, first off, let me ask you this, Matt. You like San Jose State more than everybody else, it seems like, anywhere. You probably like him more than the head coach. Can I say that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go that far. No. Like, it's only seven points. Losing offensive lineman doesn't change that for me. Um, like, uh, let me go back and say this. As I lost my train of thought half a second there, if you couldn't notice. I paused. But you mentioned, like, stop the fullback dive and that type of stuff. You know what else they need to stop? Big plays. Like, if they go four yards every time they touch the ball, even, f- well, I guess not five or six because it's a first down. But you can't allow that huge play. That's how you could stop or slow down this team. Like, I, I don't require to look it up how many big plays they had last week. But like, that's one of the key things too. Like you mentioned, it's always the one versus eleven, one versus one guy. I guess I should say. But mm-hmm. you're right. Fullback that. But I think the the bigger thing is the stopping those 20, 30 yard runs that can happen either from your fullback dive you mentioned or to pitching it or QB keep or whatever they want to do. It's like I just. I don't know. Like, are the Spartans ever going to grow up and stop it enough to make it worthwhile? I don't know. It's a, 
It's one of those things. I mean, like, did, did, here, here's here's a stat worth following in this game. And give maybe me it's some, an obvious one. Give me something here. Last year's matchup, they had two tackles for loss. I don't think that's very good, right? It's not very good. <laughs> um, and I think that they've got to they've got to bump those numbers up if they want to survive in this game. They just they have to find ways to get this offense off the field. And I think it means kind of winning on early downs, especially because I think if they can put Air Force in a position where they have to convert on like third and mid or third and long. I mean, I think you can make a case that there's still enough uncertainty around Hazik Daniels or Warren Bryan, who and whoever ends up under center at any given point about their ability to, you know, to be as effective with the, that 50 50 passing game that the Falcons are that we're, that we're all familiar with you know, to create big plays or just to move the chains. And so I think, you know, however they do on first and second down is really going to dictate how this game goes. Like if, if they end up in like third and two more often than not, then I think it's a very dicey proposition for the Spartans to hang on in this game. If it's more like third and six or third and seven, then I think they've got a much better chance of hanging around or being able to dictate how this game goes. Problem is they got Air Force Maestro, Timothy Jackson, Brad Roberts, is he even listed on the official roster yet? Because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's not on the two deep, I can tell you that much. <laughs> I think Calhoun is going to keep the same depth chart all season long, right? Probably. Uh, Hazik Daniels, QB. And then Kate Rems were going seven carries last time when they played Navy. So, and, I think, and I think, you know, the other thing that that is probably going to dictate how this game goes is if San Jose State can get off to a faster start with its passing game. Because I think if there's one key... On, on offense for the Spartans and conversely for the Falcons defense is I think it's safe to say they're much better equipped to take advantage of a potentially weak Air Force secondary than Navy was. You think so? I think we still don't know how well this Falcon secondary is going to hold up. Sure. And I think the San Jose State's going to be positioned, get, they're going to be in a position where they're not going to be shy about testing them early and often. You know, not only with Trey Walker, but, you know, the other weapons around him, Isaiah Hamilton, Bailey Gaither, you know, those types of guys, um, you know, Isaiah Holiness out of the backfield, Kyrie Robinson. I think they're not going to be shy about spreading the ball around. And so I think we're going to know much more about how teams will be able to attack this Falcons defense through the air than we did against Navy, because that's just not something that the midshipmen do. And I think, you know, that also means we're going to know, you know, how well the Spartans continue to hold up the quarterback, you know, protect against their pass rush. We still don't necessarily know how good that's going to be for Air Force, because, again, they didn't really have to do that against Navy a few weeks ago. And there's still a lot of new guys up front where, yeah, George Slavanic came out and had one good game. But, you know, is he going to be able to keep that up? Is Alex Mock going to be able to keep that up? You know, there's still a lot of uncertainty where if San Jose State gets off to a fast start, it may only take like a 10 nothing lead for them to be able to, you know, have confidence to, to really put their pedal to the metal and keep Air Force on its heels. So what do we know about San Jose State quarterback? I mean, we know it's Nick. I mean, it says Nick Starkle or Nick Nash. Of course it does. Why would it say anything else? <laughs> I'm kind of thinking it'll look more like rather than a 50 50 split, like it will be, or that, like it looked early in the year when Nash was healthy, where, you know, Josh Love took like, I don't know, 80, 85% of the snaps. And then Nash had packages where he came in and, and would just, you know, run quarterback draws, you know, designed runs. 
but also, you know, he had the ability to, to catch opponents off guard because he was a fairly effective passer as well. I think he completed like 70% of his passes, which small sample size, but that's still something that Falcons, mm. the Falcons defense is going to have to be aware of for this game. So is, I don't see, like, like similar to the UNLV San Diego State game, I don't really see a way where this game could go Spartans way. Because it's just their kryptonite so far the past five years of stopping the running game. And even they slow them down. Like, what it would take, like, a huge passing game, Air Force turning the ball. Because, like, they do have advantages. Like, I think they'll be able to pass well against that secondary Falcons, which is not super strong. So they have that going for them. They're going to need to pass well, keep the ball, and force turnovers on Air Force. Like, they make bad pitches and stop whatever running game. They can force fumbles or something. And maybe get more than two TFLs, just saying. Get out there and get in the backfield. That's like, it'll take a perfect game for San Jose State to win. I don't think that'll be enough. I don't think it'll necessarily take a perfect game. But I do think that they, they've got to win the first quarter. I think if they are if they have a lead or they're tied at the first quarter, then I like their chances of stealing this one. But that's a big if. But I see here you have, uh, as everybody else, Air Force winning. So what's your prediction like? I, I just don't see any way San Jose State unless they get defensive touchdowns, short field, big plays. But I think you're right. Like if they're down 13-0 or 13-3, Air Force mm-hmm. just milk the ball and keep it the whole game. It'll need so, to be like a one possession game or within ten points in the late in the third quarter for me to say, hey, maybe they got a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, SP Plus favors the Falcons by eight point one. Uh, that's about a sixty eight percent win probability. Um, they, uh, FEI also favors the Falcons by a little more, surprisingly so, 17.6. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think Air Force is going to be able to keep San Jose State at kind of arm's length, though. So I'm, I'm not expecting a blowout. But personally, I would take the Falcons to cover. Um, I've got them winning 35 to 24. That, you think they'll put 24 points? Uh Yes. I go. I think I take the under and go like thirty to twenty. Although I feel, I feel like I've, I'm compelled to mention the uh, the Jason Kirk rule. Which that is, I, that I've, we all picked the same thing. We is all that the picked problem? the same thing. We all picked Air Force straight up, and we all picked Air Force. So who's doing it? Who's laying on the sword? To t- who's laying on the sword to take San Jose State? So just uh, just a heads up for everybody out there. If you're if you're feeling daring, San Jose State plus seven is out there. Same with San Diego State. No, are you talking about spread or? Straight up, or, both. or I guess straight up. Straight up. That, that's how they. That's how they usually do it on the pregame shows, right? Correct. All, so, that also applies to you and be at San Diego State as well. So for those of you who aren't extremely online, maybe we should explain this real quick. Essentially, like if you've ever watched a pregame show and all of the hosts pick the same team to win a game, uh, oftentimes it's a flashing red light, and he's he, the whole the whole argument that Jason Kirk makes is that someone needs to be the contrarian. At least some point. There's some games where it's too obvious, but because here's the thing, he's right. Because if here's what it's going to come come to, let's just say for sake of argument, I take San Jose State because the passing game is elite. That they are not elite, but they can go. That's their where they can make hay against Air Force. If I pick San Jose State, I'll get a like a once this is posted and put online. Hey, here's my picks. Uh Aha, this guy picked San Jose State. If San Jose State wins, you're a genius. If they lose, who cares? You made a dumb pick for one week. But if yeah. everybody's wrong, then everybody's wrong for the one thing. And so he's like taking the fall to be the fall guy essentially and make an argument. Because I could make an argument, as I mentioned, for the Spartans to win, but it'll have to be a really, really good game to get to victory. Mm-hmm. 
I just I still am not taking it. But the seven points, like I could see it, but I I think it's gonna be about ten ish. So that's why I'm going thirty to twenty. I just don't think they can get that many points. I guess Vegas is thinking the secondary can move the ball and get points on the board. Mm-hmm. I just think the time of possession that Air Force will suck up won't allow for that many possessions to get to over sixty points. I guess we'll find out. All right, we did it. I don't know how long the show is because it's in two blocks. I think we're about 90 minutes, so can we just say you're welcome? It's been a long time coming. I don't think anybody's going to mind. We wanted to talk about as much college football for our five games. Heck, imagine if this was 12 games, Matt. Oh, boy. We've had a different <laughs> whatever. Yeah, no else. kidding, right? <laughs> All right, so welcome. thank you for listening. If you found this show for the first, t- first time and you made it to the end, you're welcome. And thank you for listening. So if you like it, go subscribe mwwire.com we have a tab a week eight tab we'll have a week tab every uh i guess starting sunday night or probably monday morning for the week for all of our our content our previews this podcast uh any news because there will be more cancellations coming your way so we'll be on top of that as well but thanks for listening and we'll be back uh sometime on sunday to recap these games and let's i'll make a good bet say matt we'll be the under 90 minutes to recap the games right i think probably all right so just you have to listen to find out so see you then